Hey Siri, am I a Slytherin? <laughs> she really couldn't say. Thanks, Siri. <laughs> Siri didn't know if I'm a Slytherin. Where every week we get together up in our pap cave in the sky, our our giant sort of erotic comic beacon. Near the paps. What, you're the blimps that near, are orbiting. Near. Oh, near the. I thought <laughs> you, dear listeners, are the blimps that orbit around in the sky with us, and and we we act as your uh, beacon of, of hope and optimism. Tuesday comics. We own and run a comic shop here in Bellingham, Washington. We love comics, and we talk about them every week. We do that with you, glorious folks. Uh, I'm Jeff, and my really my head is not moved beyond the whole Dr. Sphincter comment that happened right before we started this. I'm Django, and uh, man, me too. Yeah. I'm just... Dr. Sphincter. Yeah. Tur. Duh. Oh. Dr. Sphincterd. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and who else is here? In Spanish. You, you, you boys shit. are gross. Huh? In Spanish. Isn't E and? Uh, yeah, I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. So what you all can't see is that, yes, that was Roman. That was his intro. And <laughs> second, he has affixed to his mic stand a ranked <laughs> list of the favorite books that he read this week as if having that shorthand list is somehow going to help you during the podcast. Should we just get it out of the way? Do you want to read I, it? I, I just like it sitting there because it looks all, it's, it's, I mean, there's no numbers. It's not really ranked. It's just like the ones I loved are at top and then it descends to the ones I did not like. Yeah, he's totally a Ravenclaw. He's totally a Ravenclaw. Cool. More like a Raven clunk. Oh! Zabadoo! Zing, Roman, are you going to take that? It, it, was that a zing? It was so weak, I didn't even feel it. Oh, Whoa, that wow. was way meaner than he usually is. Oh, Jeff. Someone better need... put a muzzle on that Rome dog. Do you need some ice? Yeah, I do for my boo-boos. Um, and I like she... wearing muzzles. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he does. us all. Yeah. God damn it. You all can't tell right now. Uh, in addition to the list, he is not wearing a sheet or a shirt. It's just uh, just uh, four black leather straps descending from both shoulders towards a thing in the center, and then the other two go down around his waist to chaps that I assume have an ass on them. It's a barely acceptable F cast. It's a barely acceptable. Yeah. Um, but we are going to be talking about books and spoiling them. Django, my cohort, my counterpart, the left side of my heart. What are we talking about? <laughs> well, that's a good uh, question, Jeff. Number one. That was good. I didn't get it at first, <laughs> but uh, it is the question, the death of Vic Sage, number one. Uh, Ice Cream Man, number 16. Who would have thought? Who would have thought we would have got more than like four or five issues out of it? I'm really happy, but I was ready for it to be a six issue. 2099 Alpha, number one. Are we? What year is it? It's 19. Okay. Uh, Conan, number 11. Outer Darkness, number 12. Marauders, number 2. Heart Attack, number (gasps) 1. Olympia, number 1. 
And uh, Batman number 80. Yeah, loving it. Love a Schley. <laughs> Barreling towards the end. Man, what the books that aren't ones are... 11s, you know? The books that aren't ones yeah. are... 83s. Yeah, 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 you're right. Oh, I'm so fucking <clears throat> excited to be sitting here with the two of you gentlemen to be talking about The Question, The Deaths of Vic Sage. Number one by Jeff Lemire, Dennis Cohen, Bill Sienkiewicz, and Chris Sotomayor. We looked at this yesterday as it came in, and two days ago, <laughs> and we, like, the pretty resounding idea was like, man, this doesn't look good blown up. Um... The art was not looking great. I flipped through it a second time, still felt that way, started reading it. Pulls you right in. Pulls you right in. And the art is unquestionably Sienkiewicz. <laughs> oh, I didn't mean that. God darn it. Um, God darn it. But, but really, though, it's, it's so Sienkiewicz-y. Yeah. Sienkiewiczian. And you're glad that we're here... Because you want to know some, of, you want us to drop some uh, sage wisdom bombs. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like you know, is that a pun too? Sage, come on. Oh <laughs> man, Roman had to point to the word sage for me. Dino is just like bumming. He's like, man, that Jeff is a fucking disappointment. Um, oh, there's no question. Get it? Questions. Just because it's a pun doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. <laughs> Dino, just because they're puns doesn't mean they don't hurt. But what is like, I'm excited to have you both around. If that was a real question, haha. Um, just because I assume you guys read some of the original stuff, or can you're aware of this art enough? Like it's. Well, yeah. So the original question series was written by um, Denny O'Neill, and then illustrated by this same team of uh, Dennis Cowan and Bill Sienkiewicz. I don't know who colored it back then. Okay. I don't know if they even credited colorists back then. But uh, this this felt really similar in the beginning, but by the end it definitely felt like Jeff Lemire, but not in the same way that uh, that book last week, Family Tree, Family Tree, felt like Jeff Lemire. Like that, that felt like you just boiled down Jeff Lemire and, and and squirted a bunch of it on your weed cigarette and made a Jeff Lemire Angel Dust Family Tree comic. The way he looked at me with those telling eyes just then. I don't do that, junkie. Was all of that right? Did mm-hmm. I do yeah, all that's the all terms? Right. Okay. I think I, I agree with that. So I didn't really know what I was getting into when I started this, but one thought that came to mind was like, this is going to kind of be a telling thing for me about Jeff Lemire's superhero work. Yeah. Like, is... Can he do it? You know, he 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 can effortlessly do some some things incredibly well, but including mostly, Black Hammer, which is a superhero book ish, yeah, yeah, yeah. but not um, not like a major major right. Marvel DC superhero. Marvel DC books, I would <clears throat> say, when he's done them, they've all been pretty busty for me. So this basically sets up uh, Vic Sage, who is the question, a man who can put on no face and uh, a trench coat, who Rorschach was based on in the watchman and uh he is also a newscaster and it kind of follows him trying to solve a mystery of a mysterious sigil that he sees on rings of these political bad guys um at the at the same time that uh he there's a bunch of politics kind of falling apart around his old friend's ears she, her brother is the mayor and he's a bad guy and she's backed him up for a long time and things aren't going super well when she finds him being a bad 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 man is that a character that she has been <clears throat> in other books older question stuff 
What character? The the female Myra. Myra, the girlfriend. I think she has. Yeah, I think oh. I think she was in the original series. Okay. Yeah, or his ex girlfriend. Yeah. They, they had some kind of relationship. I'm really impressed with how well this book effortlessly brought you into the know. Like, yeah. at no point did it feel expositional, but it also, I've never read a question book, don't know much about him. Mm-hmm. Um, is he a Ditko creation? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. For Charlton. Yeah. So, and it was interesting, again, having not read any question stuff in the past, how <clears throat> clearly this sounded like Rorschach. Like, clearly, mm-hmm. that voice you know, was based on this character, but I bet Jeff Lemire was like, I'll just plug in Rorschach here. I got that feeling too. And it's been a long time since I read the original question comics, but the one line in here that stood out to me is like, Herm? no, there, there was that. And that, that was a pretty obvious homage. Cause I don't think the question said Herm in, in the older it, days but... before, before Watchmen. But in the beginning when he, uh, he saves the underage mm-hmm. prostitute and, and, the older prostitute and the older lady calls him an asshole and he's like maybe but at least i'm not a whore yeah like that that set me up to not really dig on this character and it it just felt very pointed and and kind of out of touch but you know maybe that's the question or maybe that's the rorschach in this portrayal of the question i thought that the rorschach aspect was dialed down the further that the book went to me, it felt like there was sort of a, the first third of it was sort of, this is who this character is. Yeah, Rorschach was based on him. Put that in your brain. Right. But Roman, you've read more question stuff. How much did this feel at all in line accurately <coughs> with other question stuff? That particular line, yeah, stood out to me, too. I know, in a way, it kind of fits because the questions, as he says later to Richard Dragon, he's always, he, you know, he's always a very black and white, been a very black and white um, character, which a lot of Steve Ditko's creations were. Um, but yeah, it, it, it fit more the question we know as it went on. And yeah, I was surprised. This fits very well with what I remember from their previous question series and, and Ditko's question stories. Um, and when Richard, I, I didn't know this, I guess Lemire, because I looked up some stuff about Richard Dragon mm-hmm. after he showed up. Um and he had done some, Lemire did some stuff with the Richard Dragon character in Just maybe, Green Arrow. maybe in Green Arrow oh, okay. and some other stuff with Huntress <clears throat> later on. And and he also trained Renee Montoya, Montoya when she became the question. Okay. Um, so I thought that was all, I, I didn't know Lemire had been in, involved peripherally with question characters before. Right. That really, there's a great mystery here because this voice he here calls him, says Zaz. That's Mr. Yeah. Zaz, a Batman villain, who's also whose first name is Victor. Yeah. So I was like, wow, well, how does that tie in with <clears throat> this Victor? And then right. he says, and then he calls him Charlie, or it's Charlie talking. That was yeah, and I don't that know was who interesting. Charlie is. Yeah, it was like a like some sort of spirit or ghost asking him for help. I but thought. Oh, when, when he comes up, when he finally when he goes to Richard Dragon, I was glad to see. Also, they're going to get into some of that because Richard Dragon in the old questions series brought in kind of this. Zen philosophy and and mystical stuff. mystical stuff to try and get question to to calm down and get get him out of that urban decay and black and white mindset. So, yeah, there's a some nice overlap at the beginning when he's talking about like building theories and doing detective work, but gathering evidence and all that takes time. And then at the end there, when like, he loses time, mm-hmm. and there's but it's still showing the metronome going like it did at that early stuff, like. There's some like really complex Jeff Lemire storytelling going on here. 
in in the in the best way. Uh, I think he's just a really talented writer, and I think that's really on display here. I think the first third of this issue was like I was reading it at Arliss's, and I was listening to piano music at the time, and it just like it had this like incredibly hopeless, grimy feeling. Like it felt like the Joker movie that came out recently, where it's just sort of like everyone was dirty and everything was fucked and the politicians are bad and our hero is just this horrible horribly cynical person mm-hmm. and it just it's an interesting spot to be in to to have your protagonist be such a dogmatic close-minded but i really like the conversation because i have spent you know that that is a big part of me is is sort of like moral issues how extremely are you supposed to take moral issues, right? Is it black right. and white or you got to find these gray zones? And, you know, I think probably Justin and I both think about that type of stuff a lot. So I, I, I liked the vantage of this and I can understand why he's such a dogmatic person, but it's the voice in my head that I try to quell. I feel like Roman, you're a guy who really likes the question and, and loves old Ditko stuff. So I, 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 I love, yeah. I mean, not particularly the question, but yeah, all that kind of old, I love all the, the Ch- Charlton mm-hmm. characters. Um, the DC regular ended up owning, and I love the questions. Look, I mean, it's like the spirit, except with the trench coat mm-hmm. <laughs> and no face, and no face. Yeah, <laughs> and I and I love that gimmick too, because I mean, I like the fact they never explained really how exactly this gas changes, reverses the colors of his clothes and yeah. this mask, how this mask works, because we don't need an explanation of that. It just it works <laughs> for some reason, yeah, and it looks cool when the gas comes around and it slowly changes. And the thing that I don't think that they've explained in the DC universe yet is how come he's not still dead, right? Because he died in Nanda Parbat, okay, uh, Renee Montoya in '52 mm-hmm. brought him up there, and he died of uh, lung cancer, I think. Yeah. Okay. Oh um, yeah, because in the old days he always smoked. Yeah, yeah, and so he's back in the main DC universe. This seems to be separate, but. I'm curious. Yeah. I, I I would like to follow more of the question. What do you give it? Um, An 8.5. Oh. Good fucking comic book. Dang. Seriously good. Dang. Seriously good. I give it a 7 and 3 quarters. Ooh. Yeah. That's too short of 9 and 3 quarters, which is my favorite platform in the in the Potterverse. And you said too short, which is also your favorite rapper. Yeah, in the, in the Potterverse also. Exactly. It's weird that too short is in our world and in the Harry Potter world because there's not a lot of pop culture crossover. No, you're exactly right. What do you give it, Roman? (laughs) That and Oasis, though. Oasis was all over in the Harry Potter world. Well, yeah, they're basically in everything. That's true. Yeah, they got their their dirty little ears on every floor. (laughs) I don't know if you need to bring the cleanliness of their ears into the conversation. (laughs) It's hard not to. I give it two chains. Two chains. Roman, Roman. (laughs) Is that that guy? No, uh, oh. Two Chains does sing the birthday song that we meet every birthday at midnight. That's how I know his name. Yeah, okay. that's why. Okay, never mind. Roman's been there for many of the midnight birthday <laughs> celebrations where we all gather together um, and listen to Two Chains' birthday song right at midnight. Yeah. Um. I give. The, I give. Oh, the back covers. That's a panel reminded me of Ditko actually when he's jumping across buildings. Mm-hmm. Um. I'll give it an eight. I really liked it. This is my favorite Black Label book so far. Definitely mine as well. Sphinx. Turd. Speaking of swinging from tree to tree, um, Ice Cream Man number 16. This book keeps coming out, everybody. M, or sorry, W. Maxwell Prince, art by Martin Morazzo, colors by Chris O'Halloran. This book was, I think, the hardest Ice Cream Man issue for me to get through. 
Was it because every once in a while there was a full journal page that you had to slow down and read? I didn't mind that, but this is, you know, in, in the way that Ice Cream Man is always single-issue vignettes uh, kind of <laughs> showing interconnecting stories, but all very standalone. This is a dad who's trying to raise his daughter, and she's growing up, and you get that sort of awkward, like, dad trying to still be a good dad, but get along with his daughter as she's getting older, and he reads her journal. And that's when it was, like, weird for me. I was just like, oh, mm-hmm. don't don't read the journal and then he goes to support group and he mentions that he did it and that maybe she's seen him having sex with guys and then he goes and reads it again and i'm just like man i have this thing about like just don't look for truths because you're gonna find them (laughs) um and it's gonna be more like if you have to look for a truth it's gonna be more than you want and that happens more and more in here until we realize she's not actually talking about having sex with boys she is going out and murdering them yeah which i thought was a pretty rad twist i did too And I liked, I liked the twist at the end. Uh, like it takes it. It's a slow issue. Not a lot happens. Dude reads a journal, finds out his da- his daughter's a killer, and then they have to resolve it. So it's, it takes its time getting there. Um, but when it finally does, um, he kind of, he he deals with it in kind of kind of a relatable way. Yeah. You know, like you don't you you wouldn't want your kid to go to jail. And I could see in the heat of the moment taking the heat for it, yeah, and like finishing the kid off and and letting your daughter off the hook. Um, I mean, hopefully nobody who listens to our podcast <laughs> is ever going to be in that situation. But you know, it's it's the old classic, uh, "Hey, you just had a car wreck, switch seats with me," right? Kind of thing. Yeah, it's but with knives. Yeah. I was talking to Roman about <laughs> it. There. Yeah, Roman. I know. I'm so glad that we got you off that charge. I was talking to Roman about Heartbeat earlier, and I was talking about, yeah, one of the, like, the hardest things for me to read is just, like, or watch is, like, our parents who are trying their best, mm-hmm. and it still kind of sucks. Yeah. Like, the sadness of just, like, the reality of human beings trying, and no matter what, like, we're not really ever doing as well as other people, or we're doing better than some, and, and just this dad who's doing his best, and he's, like, trying to relate to his daughter, but he's not fully equipped to do it, so he's reading her journal, and then that's just bad, and then, like, the sadness of a father throwing their life away to go to jail and die and then write this letter to his daughter, you know, in, in the piece that he's found on death row. Like, yeah. Ugh, ugh, yeah. that's tough stuff for Jeff. Romy? Uh, yeah, I mean, this is such a good issue. I loved all the twists. I, I, you know, it was so well-paced. Because after he has dinner with his, bu- his buddy, who's a cop, who's also in the dad's group, and he admits they read some more of her her diary, and the guy's like, "God, you gotta quit doing that, man. It's just it's not gonna turn out well." <laughs> yeah. And next in the next page, he's back reading some more, and <laughs> it's just so well paced with her diary entries. Um, I do. Just, I also agree. I think that it was paced really, really well. Like Django is totally right. It is slow, but it was every page had sort of emotional hits. On yeah, it. and and little things like after he reads the entry and he realizes she's not having sex, he backs up. And trips over the box that you know she just left it there in the middle of the floor with the bloody knives. It's like it's uh, that made me think, oh, so at some level she wants to get caught. Yeah, by I mean, Roman, we that's found such a all dumb of place. your murder utensils. My well, first thought was that you wanted to. Well, get yeah, caught. yeah. You, I want to know how he was going to kill people with flashlights. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's they're not easy. Heavy. Yeah, they're <laughs> heavy when they're as full as they are. Yeah, but it's oh, not Roman. <laughs> so, oh, no, and it's not quick. <laughs> Jeez. You can only put one explicit E on the podcast. Uh, app, so. <laughs> yeah, Do you guys all see that the B cover is just a bunch of visual 
uh, references to the previous issues. <laughs> yeah. Oh, which that's is really pretty cool. rad. By God. That's not that's not the normal artist. No. Yeah, some of these I I don't I have no idea some of this stuff. But God, it's an intense cover. Intense issue. Yeah, it was it was like I said, it was the the heaviest issue that I've had to get through for Ice Cream Man. Uh, okay. Yeah. So that's that's a thing about Ice Cream Man. And there are some other comics that do this. Like I'll bet that everybody who reads Day Tripper cries on a different issue. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, there's only twelve issues, so you can only cry. 12 different, 12 different ways but or but you I, can not cry at all sure sure if you're a if you're a whatever you are yeah I, I dated one um but broke my heart just like that this this book i think has a point in it this is 16 issues in at some point an issue is clearly the hardest one for somebody to get through yeah Hmm. Um, like crossed did that to me too like it took 80 some issues across before i was like oh i see why everybody thinks this is gross <laughs> <laughs> i thought it was just some good porn at first yeah but it takes some people like one page and it takes some people six issues before they're like oh no thank you i'll <coughs> yeah. i'll stop now um and this is this is just such a good series i love i love that they can tell such consistently uh impactful stories yeah i wonder what this series was originally pitched as in terms of like a broad plot or a general issue range. Like I think that it's definitely been encouraged to go longer based on its popularity at this point. I wonder what, you know, I wonder what the sort of thrust of this story is ultimately going to be. It felt like five issues to me with, with very little connective tissue other than maybe a, like a narrator or a, a guy behind the scenes in the ice cream man himself. Yeah. But in that second arc, we got his brother, and now things things just seem to be setting up pieces for something. And I would say that this, while this fourth volume was very good, I think maybe volume three is still my favorite. It had the yeah. most sort of into the Ice Cream Man and his brother mm-hmm. um, and some other stuff. This one, we didn't really get any of the moving the broader world forward. Um, they've been doing four issue arcs. So this is the end of volume four. Amazing, amazing book. This is no less than that. And I would give this one... A seven point five, easy eight, easy eight. Yeah, um, eight point five. Yeah, I think I'm afraid to go higher. I, I I loved it, but I don't. I can't look back at this one. You don't want to look it in the eye, Jeff. No, it'll <laughs> turn me to stone. <laughs> uh, how stoned were you when you read twenty ninety nine? Alpha, Alpha? Uh, number one. Very stoned. But, uh, it was the book that I read right after the question, which I was the most stoned for. <laughs> and 2099 made less sense than the question. <laughs> um, this was not a bad book. Ryan Russell, shout out, you adorable man, you. Um, we are reading uh, Nick Spencer and Victor Bogdanovic's 2099 Alpha Number One. This is the first sort of kickoff issue for this 2099 mini event that's happening, spinning out of the Amazing Spider-Man stuff, also written by Nick Spencer. Are you doing that to fuck with me? No. What? What? 2099. What did I say? You said 2099. I've never heard anybody call it that. But that's what it is. I mean, you, you're thinking that most people call it 2099. Yeah. Yeah, most people. I think most people probably do, probably. but it's the same thing. Yeah, fine, guys. <laughs> I didn't think about it. I th- I thought maybe you were uh, digging at me. 
I I don't know what is there to be dug at other than your adorable little belly button. Um, <laughs> um, there was a couple pretty cool parts to this book, and while I thought it was quite disjointed, it made sense why it was disjointed when I finished reading it. Yeah. What this was is um, a book consisting of five shorts that are all going to tie into like Conan 2099, the one shot, Venom 2099, the one shot, um, Thor 2099, Conan 2099. I can't remember which of those I said or not, didn't say, but um, Fantastic Four. So it really made sense after the fact that that's what was going on. But while I was trying to read it, I was like, why? There is no transition between these things at all. And I bet it was because, you know, it's six different people or I don't know. It, it's it's one of those classic, here, read this if you want to know which one spinning out of this you want to read. And it sort of indicates to you at the end which one was which and which series you should check out and which day it comes out. So, Roman, you read it too, right? Mm-hmm. And as our resident 2099 expert, oh, so uh, don't, don't put that on me. <laughs> as our resident 2099 expert, how does it compare? Is this as good as the old Peter David Warren Ellis... Uh, uh, Stan Lee, Stan Lee write Ravage. Did Warren Ellis write some? I don't know. Twenty ninety nine. Okay. I know Peter David wrote something. Yeah. He wrote. Yeah, he wrote Spider Man. Um, twenty ninety nine. Two thousand ninety nine. Spider Spider Man two thousand ninety nine. Um, I don't remember. I remember Spider Man and I remember Doom two thousand ninety nine because uh, those are my two favorite titles out of that universe. Um, I don't know who wrote Doom, but yeah, this was fun. I mean, it was kind of disjointed because I was trying to remember some of this stuff, like who these dudes are, and I didn't know till the end that one of these guys is the Punisher of that year. Oh, Punisher um, twenty ninety nine. Yeah, two thousand ninety nine. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know what the deals with the Thors and all that, but it was it was fun. I mean, it was disjointed, and New York is weird. This future is weird, even though it's like much closer now than it was back in the nineties. There is the very cool plot device that Doctor Doom has Uatu the Watcher chained up and has his eyes robotically held open, projecting what he's seeing, so that, uh, yeah, so that he can sort of see what Uatu is seeing, which I thought was That's a pretty, pretty cool. Pretty yeah, that is cool. Up rad device. And I like and I like little the things like the uh, the endless road that are just these elevated highways that you're on this eternal tra- traffic jam, and it's such a backed up snarl traffic jam there's actually rolling houses on this thing because people are on here for decades and they just live (laughs) in their house vehicle and they're doomed to wander this thing forever and because of the feudal nature being on that road there's no laws if you're moving like you know because the police aren't it's basically like being in open waters in the ocean or something like it's just sort of this yeah yeah i like the fact that one of the adaptations is there's one person that's a, a, a rolling mechanic and on top of their big rolling car garage they have this giant wrench so they let everybody in the distance think like oh yeah i need a mechanic quick yeah. <laughs> i like the art a lot it, it victor bogdanovic he did uh what did he do he, didn't he do the new superman what i thought maybe he did because i know the name what i was thinking as i was reading this is that he looks like maybe he was greg capullo's inker uh, yeah this, hmm. this and has then, some capullo in it yeah and then became an artist himself or something but like there's such strong capullo stuff in it that it looks to me like you know it was capullo but that 
That's just my theory. I didn't back check it. Yeah, and the colors yeah. are gorgeous. Yeah, they are. Like the fact there's a Herbie because I always liked Herbie. Yeah, and the Herbie bit was like hurt my heart. <laughs> like as a cute little <laughs> it cat. Did. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was surprised. Plus, I love Doom in any incarnation. Doom is just great. Do you know anything <laughs> about Doom 2099? Is he Victor Von Doom? Is it a different guy? I don't remember. It's I, I really don't remember. I, I, I thought you were I, supposed to be the 2099er. Django <clears throat> cast that expert thing on me. I'm no expert on 2099. I'm glad that we read it. I wish that in its production or publication, it made a little bit more sense as I was reading it, sort of exactly what it was. Because I kept trying to hold all of this in my head as like <laughs> who's doing what at what time. Right. And it was all very separated. And I couldn't sort of keep track of certain characters, but it makes sense because, like, this Conan guy shows up and does a thing, and yeah. then we'll never see him again or see an introduction for him. Yeah. You know, I'll read the I'll read the Conan one and the Punisher one, probably. And the Herbie one. And Spider-Man. Yeah, and the Herbie one. I'll read the Herbie 12-issue series. The Fantastic Four one already came out today. Oh, and that's Herbie's in there, isn't it? Yeah. Damn it. I guess I have to read that one. <laughs> <laughs> what would you give it, Roman? Uh, 2.099. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. I'll give it a. I'd give it a seven. Okay. I'd go. I'd go six point five. Totally fine comic book. Totally fine comic book. I know you're gonna read that twenty nine Conan twenty ninety nine series. I am because, just because that's a that's a new one. These other titles existed back in the nineties when they did this, but I don't think they had a Conan one. Yeah, which. You know, it could go either way for me, and it's just, you know, like, I don't understand how you can bring Conan to 2099, but I also don't understand yeah, how you can bring know. him to the Marvel Universe and then be your favorite issue of the week, looking at your short yeah. list there. Yeah, but this one, actually, he's this is his regular Conan the Barbarian number 11, his regular ongoing title, where he's back where he belongs in the Hyborian age. He's they didn't, The main title didn't have anything to do with him coming forward in Hy- time. Hyborian. Yeah. Hybrian. Hybrian. Hi, Brayden. I've been I've been reading it. I'm a couple issues behind. Have you? I've, I've been bringing them home. I put any intent to. I really like this series. I do too. Jason Aaron, uh, Mahmoud Asar, Asrar, um, Matthew Wilson. So yeah, this picks up. There's been an ongoing thing throughout this series that this this horrible witch has proclaimed that Conan's going to die at a certain point, and her children. There's he survives has survived so many things that his blood is magical and they need it for reasons um and the last issue her children he killed the witch but she came back and distracted him and her evil little monster children killed conan so this starts off where he's hallucinating and he sees his parents and they set him off on this journey he's a little kid and he sets off on this this journey to climb this mountain and it's just great conan stuff because he's climbing this mountain and he gets away and a saber-tooth attacks him and kills him and then lightning and he wakes up and starts climbing again lightning hits him kills him and so things the stag kills him and he keeps on dying and coming back and keeps climbing and his beard's growing and everything and he finally gets up to a certain point and this voice comes booming out and these giant rock hands come out of the mountain attacking him and sure enough it's his god it's Krom which which is a big surprise because throughout Conan's mythos, Krom is, you know, you don't pray to him because Krom doesn't care. Just like in the Schwarzenegger movies, Krom doesn't give a shit about you. Do you ever you. see him in the in the older comics? No, this is the first time we've ever seen him. Sacrilege. And I think sometimes they've shown, like, a misty figure, face obscured on a stone right. stone throne in the clouds or something. But yeah, yeah, Krom likes rhymes. But yeah, this time, he, he probably does, yeah. Oh, stone throne. 
<laughs> so next episode, I expect you to have a crom a, a crom chant. Oh, he doesn't have to. <laughs> I, I want to hear one. <laughs> I so, bet he's got one. So yeah, he has a great confrontation argument with crom debate. Crom is very scary looking. This, I mean, he's still mostly face and shrouded in mist, but he's got these weird horns that come down and frame his face and these horrible glowing eyes. And he pisses off Crom. Of course, he attacks Crom, and and things go badly. And I like the way Roman says Crom. Then Crom cares. <laughs> um, and Crom tries to put him down, but he's Conan, so he doesn't go down. And and more horrible things happen. And it's just a great Conan issue because he just won't stop. He's like he's like this barbarian version of Wolverine. The barbarian version of the little engine who could. So he keeps <laughs> dying in this issue. Is uh, there any ex- is this on the like way up the, the mountain? Fantasy. Well, well, well he's already dream? dead at the beginning. Right. So this is his journey to like his tribe's version oh, of heaven. Oh, is him? So this is not like a flashback or something. No, this is no. like, and when he dies, he dies eternally, venturing up the mountain to Crom. Yeah. This is basically yeah. Day Tripper, just in one issue. Or Homer Bound. <laughs> Homer Bound. Homer Bound. Simpsons. Don't. I wish I was. <laughs> You wish you were Homer Simpson? Homeward bound. Oh. Yeah, and at the end, uh, total spoilers at the end, he, he, pers- oh. he, 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 he pisses off Crom enough that Crom's like, fine, and he curses him and sends him back to life. Mm. But with the, the curse being that, you know, you'll live long enough to see everything you care about in your kingdom and lose everything and lose your control of your body. So as long as he keeps caring about things, he won't die. He's going to lose his kingdom, but eventually he knows he's going to become a king because that's been foretold. Well, so eventually he's going to turn into Conan of the Savage Avengers. So this <laughs> series has been the life and death of Conan. This is part 11 of that. I wonder how long this specific storyline is. Is that sort of the culminating event? Is his death and then... I don't know because now next issue he's going back to confront um, these these witch children that killed him. Are they like the witch children from that first issue? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. I'm impressed that he's sort of spun this giant 12-issue yarn. I wonder how long Jason Aaron's going to be on it. I think he's leaving soon. Is he? Mm. Mm. Dang. Uh, did they touch on him becoming a talk show host at any point? No, the, no. They the didn't Joker? mention that. Maybe that's in, the, maybe that's in his Conan's future. It's okay. part of the curse. Conan Hyborian. Yeah. Conan Hyborian! <laughs> like... <laughs> O'Brien? Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. Listen. We haven't seen each other really at all today. Yeah, so we're, we're kind of out of like, sync. Usually <laughs> on Thursdays we have an overlap period, but the new schedule, it's, it's uh, not like that. So Yeah, we're going to – I'm going to – if I, you know, someday I could think. Yeah, I'll just work harder on lowering my bar before seeing you. Your expectations? No, 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 my sense of humor. Okay. Just bring it down to that of a child playing on a sandbox. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rome Doggy, how many crom crom beefs would you give it? <laughs> crom beefs. The beefs. <laughs> how many crom beefs? 9.5. 9.5. And it was your favorite book of the week. That doesn't that means well, well, that I'm you not, don't have well, a single gooey well, dog. I'm not, I'm not sure cuz it's tied with Batman. I love Batman too. So you're going to give Batman a 9.5. No, fuck it. I'll give it a 10. That's not. Conan, can Conan a gets a 10. Du- no, okay, Conan well, gets a 10. You can make a big gooey duck sound. You do the gooey duck sounds. I yeah, don't do the gooey duck sounds. fucking parse. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. I guess. <laughs> Hyborian age. Life and death. 
of Roman's gooey duck. <laughs> I don't think he's a Ravenclaw after all. No, I don't. He's definitely he's a Slytherin. More of a Gryffindor. Oh. No, he's a Gryffindor. <laughs> <laughs> I like Griffins. Uh, Jeff, did you read anything? Yeah. I did. Uh, let's talk for a second about The Outer Darkness, number 12. It's just been a minute since we've talked about this book, several issues, and it is still probably, you know, the top three books coming out. Probably, you know, it's not like a Hickman book, but it's it's a better looking book and a more fun book than just about anything else. I would give this issue a nine i just look forward to it and every single time i read it the art blows me away and this one was no less than that page number two is just this full page shot and it is fantastic like afu chan's uh paneling and use of space and the way that there's just this giant asymmetrical person way close to the front of the camera and it's like obstructing the the view as much as it is but it's like I don't know, there's very Kirby-ish elements in it to me in terms of the way space is used, the line, like the perspective. It's all, the art is, I was thinking about it as I was reading this. I don't know that I would like this book nearly as much if this wasn't the artist on it, but I still really like the story. Do you think, do you think, uh, I feel like a bunch of other artists would make me like this as much. Mm-hmm. But I feel like a bunch of other artists would make me not want to read it at all. Yeah, if I that think makes sense. It does. Yeah, I think that there's a good handful of people who could make me like it probably close to as much, but I Yeah, there's a, there's a very unique alchemy to this that kind of reminds me of Chew. Yeah. Like you can't put your finger on why Chew worked so well, but I don't yeah. think it probably would have worked as well with any other artist. And this one, yeah, there's something about it. Like I I don't usually end reading issues by just feeling like I need to tell the artist that they are an incredible artist, but that happens every time on here. Um it's great. It's super, super good. John Lehman, Afuchan, Outer Darkness. This is the end of season one, so I hope that they actually get Ooh. back on it pretty soon because I heard that maybe some more shoe stuff's happening, and I hope that this book gets put out in a timely manner because I'm going to really, really miss it if it's not going on, and I don't think that it has the most insane sales. Does this does this issue have uh, a worthy end of an arc? Yeah, it really kind of reframes and sets up everything that's happened in the series so far. Okay. It makes everyone who's been in it kind of come back into play in strategic ways. It uh, This and the last issue sort of elucidate the motives for Rig, the captain who is kind of a jerk and you get why he is. And then the, the older dude who kind of recruited him to be the captain originally, mm-hmm. we learn that he ultimately... Like, his wife and the mother of his daughter is the same woman that Rig loved, but she died. And Rig has stolen the Charon to go into the outer darkness to retrieve her. Okay. And he stole the ship from the man that she ultimately was with instead of him. And it's just, like, juicy stuff. But all the, you know, every every character is like a chess piece, and it's in the exact right spot. And they're all being strategically moved without us really having seen why. Nice. Roman, you read it. Does all that ring true? That all does ring true. Um, it it does, and it's funny too because I I really like the art sometimes, and sometimes I really don't. Ooh, um, like that page, that big page, the second page you talked about. Yeah, yeah, it's it's the composition is awesome. I love that and everything, but I think the al- these aliens they just look so silly. They look like like Teenage Mutant Ninja show the cartoon. Creatures. There's a page later in the issue that shows those same aliens, and I was like, I don't love those character designs. Yeah, like yeah. I, 
And, I, and his buddy Ogway, I always think Ogway looks too, too cartoony. And see, that's <laughs> to me, there is this like, I didn't love Headlopper as much as most of the other folks at the shop. Mm. Yeah. This one really hits that niche to me. Like, I really like the Saturday morning cartoonishness of this, which it doesn't have often, but like, I really like Ogway because he, he, for that kind of same reason, I think maybe you don't love it. Yeah. I just feel like sometimes the, sometimes the slightly cartoonishness, cartoonishness of the art, um, I, I wonder sometimes if I'd be feeling the horror or something more if the art was different. Yeah. <clears throat> it took me about two issues to really acclimate to the art, but I, I liked it a lot. I'm way behind on it. I'm probably six issues behind now. But I love this but page. Like yeah. When What's-His-Name does his spell casting, oh, that's yeah. beautiful. Oh, uh, what would you give it, Roman? Oh, jeez, I'd give I'd give this a 9.5. Oh, wow. He gave it a higher score than I gave it. What would he have given it if he hadn't turned that other it into one? a big old gooey? I don't know. If I'd left that a 9.5? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so that score is acceptable. <laughs> Perfectly. Django, uh-huh. talk to me what, about what Marauders number two. I gave it a, a nine, nine, nine oh, okay. at, the, at the beginning. <laughs> a nine or a 9.5. 2099? I gave it 2099. <laughs> Gosh. this I think this was we one Marauders. of my favorite of the X-Men number ones. The D of X. This is number Marauders, two. what number one was? I think so, okay. yeah. Yeah, and uh, this follows that one up. Um, and you'll have to forgive me because I'm really not very good at some of these characters. But uh, Sebastian Shaw made me want to change my beard. <laughs> uh, yeah, you guys actually, I didn't realize that, but you guys have pretty close, uh, you know, you got a similar nose, you got similar choppers. Yeah, there, there were a couple panels there where I thought, I thought that guy owes me some money. Well, yeah, but he's got um, a whole head of hair. Sorry. Oh, motherfucker. It also, <laughs> his beard also comes up funny, and yeah. I thought maybe I'd experiment with that at some point. Can you? Could you change? You could. You could change the height of your chop a little bit. Yeah, I, I cut it down a little you bit. You probably have a half an inch of height there you're not utilizing. Yeah. I would love to see that. It's it's too threatening for you to see. It is. You're scared of it me. Is, yeah, I, I'm generally scared of you. Uh, this has... The Marauders themselves um, attacking a ship that is bootlegging um, X-Men drugs to friendly countries that haven't signed on yet. And they're supposed to be making sure they get to the right places. They're not, thanks to Sebastian Shaw. So the Marauders just fuck shit up on that ship. And uh, then they go out and party, um, get tattoos, get drunk. And in the end, we see Kate pride in her new costume and her new tattoos on her knuckles that say hold fast i'm really into her tattoos and uh she says i am the red queen bitch yeah yeah there, there were some uh, interesting interesting choices in this issue i didn't like it as much as the first one but i still enjoyed kind of the swashbuckling middle finger to Kind of middle finger to X-Men comics. Like, this doesn't feel like an X-Men comic. It feels like a big old adventure comic with some X-Men stuff sprinkled in. Yeah. Um, the the one thing, the one exception that I took was the full-page lead-in that's formatted like a Jonathan Hickman um, yeah. data page, but is just a really clumsy way to skip two issues of content and jump us ahead in the story a little bit. Um, I think those data pages work really well when Hickman does them because he's he's sparse and concise and you don't have to read 
a million things to know what they're doing. And this was, this was just a, a, a poor use of that mechanic, in my opinion. I liked this issue and I'm excited to keep reading this book, but I don't like, I'm not just super clear on who's on whose side and who's what and who's already which position and what are the motives and okay, like, I don't think that I've gotten a real clear, like, here's this person, they're working with Krakoa, here's this other person, they're they're not, but they're doing this motive. I'm like, okay, like, whose team is, like, is Sebastian Shaw and Emma Frost's secret stuff from Krakoa? Why does Sebastian not know about Cape Pride? Exactly who is trying to sneak and who's being on the surface of it and how it fits into the other stuff isn't super clear to me yet. There are a lot of politics in here and I'm like- not super well defined yeah it's just sort of i'm not exactly sure who is double crossing and who is yeah what's on the up and up and and it doesn't feel like it's necessarily supposed to be a secret i just feel like i don't get it yet and maybe other people totally do get it but yeah i would love for it to be a little bit more clear you know i really liked and not that i understood it all but i really liked the politics between emma and sebastian shaw because that harkens back to claremont and burn and austin's hellfire club stuff because sebastian shaw was always working against the other members of the Hellfire Club. It was confusing because, I mean, both him and Emma are working toward the same goal, supposedly for the X-Men, or for Krakoa and Professor X and everything. But he's working against her, I guess. And to I do what? Trying to undermine her and get his... He keeps on trying to get his person, whoever that is, placed as the Red Queen, so then he'll have more power within the Hellfire Hellfire Club. And we think Emma's the one that made Kitty Pride. And Emma, yeah, appointed Kitty Pride. Okay, be- be- she did? Before, yeah, apparently before they, her and Sebastian even had this conversation. Because I almost this, thought maybe had it this meant that, like, Sebastian was the one that made her that, because Emma keeps talking about how Sebastian wants to make a woman in no, the whole time. Yeah, and we, and I, I don't think... maybe it was a twist. Yeah, and I don't think we ever found out who Sebastian's candidate was. Yeah, I think Emma threw that shit before she walked into the room. Yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoy reading these, and I'm still, like, I love the idea of kind of reading all of them for the most part. I didn't read Excalibur this week. I skimmed it, but I didn't, this one didn't make me say, fuck yeah, Dawn of X, but I'd still give it a 7.5. Yeah, i give it a 7. It it pulled me through the whole thing, and I didn't, there, there was really nothing to hate in here, um, and there were a lot of things to like. Yeah, i give it a 6. I'll still read the next issue. Yeah. All right, there we are with that. You know what that's called, Roman? What? Perfectly acceptable comic book? Stockholm Syndrome. Oh. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> I hate to... myself, but I'll keep doing it because it's familiar. Uh, Heart Attack, number one, by Sean Kittleston, Eric Zwadzki. Okay, you're doing so good at reading, bud. Zwadzki. Can we start over? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Heart Attack number one by Sean Kittleston. God damn it, I fucked it up again. Oh, we'll leave the whole thing in there then. <laughs> Heart Attack <laughs> number one by Sean Moon Kittleston. Let's do it again. Take it, take it a fourth time. Heart Attack number one by Sean Kittleston, Eric Zawadzki, and Michael Garland. Oh, fuck. Can you start the timer now? Yeah, let me get that going. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So this series is about some sort of kind of, uh, oh, like a dystopian future where people have what they call variants, which seems to be some sort of power that they have with their hand. And 
a lot of them seem to maybe heat up and maybe also have other powers. For example, the two rabble rousers in the very beginning put up a white poster over a propaganda poster for the cops and the girl uses her power. And when they take the poster down, it's graffitied the, uh, the poster. Um, and then she gets caught and hauled off and her, her compatriot videotapes it. Um, and then there's this like resistance with a leader who we're not really sure if he's a good guy or a bad guy and uh, kind of a, an internet celebrity ends up meeting the dude who filmed the, the crime in the beginning. And when they touch, they have some sort of crazy moment and they don't really know what it is until they get into a fight later. And they, they realize that they've kind of got some powers if they're touching, like their their variants augment each other. And, uh, you know, they chase each other around and end up fighting some cops and they're holding hands and, and getting ready to fight people. Um, everybody looks a little bit weird and and not quite right. But I, uh, I, I don't know. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the book. And Alex Grant. We've lost it. Are you going to be reading more of this? <laughs> Probably going to read the next one. It's got one more issue to keep me. I also like the art. Like, it's got that, yeah, there's like a, that thick line. Like, I don't know. Like, a, there's a substance to it that I like a lot. I can't quite place my finger on it. Yeah, and it's kind of a modern art style, I think, that we see kinda a like lot. Kind of like Burnamy and Patera-y also. Like, the, the ink line. Like, if those a, guys were in a real big hurry and forgot to draw 90% of their lines, yeah, this is what they would... Yeah, <laughs> dial it in to not yeah. have quite as much personality. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'd give it a six and a half, and uh, definitely going to read the next one. Unless it's another 900-book week like this week. This was a, a pretty big week. Um, well, listen, I want to talk similarly about a book called Olympia from <coughs> Image Comics that was written by Kurt Pyers and Tony Pyers with art by Alex Diotto. Um, now, Roman, I yes. want to talk yeah. to you because I want to tell you what I liked about this book, and I know that All you right. didn't like this book. I don't think it's the most novel story. Like, it's not, you know, breaking, breaking any <coughs> rules, but hey, Roman... Could you please not cough while I'm talking to you? Because <laughs> uh, I know you have. To... <laughs> oh, Roman! I'm just, kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, no, it's just that I wasn't saying anything useful at this point. So. I'm getting really into coughs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Roman, I'm like getting really into coughs. I cough again. <coughs> oh, Django! I can see your woody face. Um, what I really, really liked about Olympia was that I think that this artist is incredibly proficient and i don't really know how to describe that other than it is not a highly detailed art style but the art does so much storytelling and it's all so effective and fluid and in that regard it reminded me very much of jack kirby but it also reminded me of darwin cook while not looking like darwin cook but economy of line like economy of structure it is it was just so efficient to me. And as I was reading it the whole time, that struck me. And I don't really know exactly how to describe that to folks, but it's just a thing that when I saw it, I knew it. I I don't know. I, I really liked how much of, like, visually the story was being told through that, but it also, like, wasn't detailed. But there was just all these, like, really fun, big images that... 
you know, in in the in the bulky, you know, like Jack Kirby's a master, but also for a long time I kind of looked at him and it was kind of bulky and shitty almost. Like there's a there's a a lack of being refined or something. And, it and took me 41 years to think that he was anything other than an old looking yeah. kind of shitty artist. And and this just to me has elements of that. And then it surprised me to then get to the end and have this big Jack Kirby quote because this whole thing is very much a big love letter to Kirby and the character designs are Kirby-esque and it, you know that makes sense to me. And I don't think it reinvented the wheel at all, but I just, I was really impressed with it and I liked the way the art shifted. It's, sorry, the structure of this is that a kid is reading comic books and then a thing falls to earth and it's the comic book character that he likes and he hangs out with it in the woods and then it disappears and then the bad guy from that comic series comes into our reality. Not a brand new story, but the way that the art is presented changed between the comic book pages, like of the kid reading the comic, and then the main sort of world art. And, uh, yeah, it just, just, I, I love, I love when a creator can, like, effectively not put text on pages for, like, four pages, mm. and you still get a lot of story out of it. And then, um, you know, it's by Kurt Pyers, who I read basically everything that he does because he's a big grant morrison fan and he ties a lot of stuff into morrison and he's writing this with his dad and i think that's cool um it's just it's the, a super size issue too right it's really big but it's really quick like it's yeah, just it goes quickly yeah there was um there was a a very light-hearted classicness to this 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 to me had that stench of just loving comics inside it and uh yeah so for that i would give it a 7.5 as well this week just uh a 7.5 but with a lot of sort of a, a surprising amount of respect from me in it huh. those are my yeah. feelings on it roman get these people your uh your feelings about it which are not the same oh i loved no. also the pages that have a bunch of comic covers from other publishers that are not image because this is an image book yeah there was there was yeah i was impressed with that too because there's I Kurt think Pires some of, books. Yeah, some of them are made up, but a, a couple of them are real titles, aren't they? I think they're all they're real, all real. Except are for they? Olympia, yeah. Well, you're right about the efficiency of it. Um and it was like it was really nice not having uh exposition everywhere. So I appreciated that. But and and I appreciate that when the main character when you're reading his Olympia Olympian comics, the art is cruder mm -hmm. in there. Or half Tony, I would say. Uh, yeah, more yeah. Yeah, there's Did, lots of those on it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but overall, I was—I don't know. It's funny. I appreciate the efficiency of the art. I like that—that that, how well it told the story that way. But overall, and I—and I'm sorry to say this because I know it's—it's a—it's a tribute to Kirby and everything, and they're mm -hmm. trying for that. But I just felt that his art lacks the boldness of Kirby. It's trying for it, but. It it just doesn't achieve it anywhere for me. Yeah, it's definitely um, not Kirby for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's other artists that do like a Kirby shtick um, that I think do it much better. I did like when the villain shows up from the comic. He's got you know classic Loki colors. Yep, because yep. he's the bad guy. <laughs> yep. Um, what would you give it? I feel what I give it seven, seven point five. I actually like this pinup in the back. I know. Real, that I is love gorgeous. that pinup. Yeah. Um, by mail hot raw i'd i'd give it a six heck yeah it's definitely not a new story idea you know oh no no that's not i'll give i'll give it a five five point five point five five point five master wayne master wayne oh don't say master wayne it makes you think of justin it makes me sad
Because oh, <laughs> Alfred's dead. Oh, Master oh, Jeff. He's got to come back. Everybody. He's got to come back somehow. In, he didn't. Okay, spoiler alert. He doesn't come back in Batman number 80, Schley. No. James Tinian will bring him back. Oh, fucking A. James <laughs> Tinian. Um, that was a great transition, everybody. <laughs> fucking A, James Tinian. I, no, I, I ruined the transition. Django, go back. Do it again. Do it again. Or just it's, take it off like you were doing it. Master Wayne to 80 Schley. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah like that. Roman. Yeah. Big fan of this issue? I was. Tell me it's about it. Issue. Oh, my gosh. Um, <clears throat> well, we start off with, okay, what was the, what was the, uh, Tom King did a, one of his poetic literary quotes to begin this thing, and it was really done well. And now I can't remember what the, uh, what the quote is from. Children's Crusade? Was that this one by John Dunn? Was it John Dunn? I'm just going to let him flounder because I don't know what he's talking about. Okay. Well, anyway, it starts off where Batman wakes up and he's in <laughs> he's in Wayne Manor. He's at a table and Alfred's dead body is seated at the other end of the table. And Batman just freaks out and bolts across the table. And, you know, classic Batman eyes expression. His white eyes go wide and he cradles when he says Alfred and he cradles Alfred in his arms and you see the tear, the stream of tears coming down from underneath his cowl. Oh man. And then he bends down and hugs him close and buries his face in, in Alfred's neck there. And then he looks up and he's angry, pissed Batman, but still with the tears coming down, it's like, Oh my God, this is a gut wrencher. And overlaid with that is Alfred leaving a recorded sort of almost a suicide note to Bruce because yeah. he knows that, uh, Bane's going to kill him and he's kind of telling Bruce some stuff about, you know, how he felt when Bruce was a kid and yeah, it, and oh, it was, yeah, yeah, it was heart wrenching. Yeah. It, it was definitely more heart wrenching than I expected. Um, <laughs> this issue to be. And then Bruce finds out that he's locked in this room. All the doors in his dining room have been bricked up. So he opens them and he can't get out and he can't get out and he can't get out. Yeah. yeah. I don't understand why they they show the windows in the background. And I kept wondering, why doesn't he try a window? That's a good point. Because he's too grief stricken. Yeah, but he's also Batman. Does he go through all the <laughs> stages of grief here? Oh, wow. That in, would be a real this Tom room? King thing. I, I mean, he's super sad. He's super angry. I think there's a lot of stages, though. There's just like seven. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But they also aren't aren't like you go through them one, two, three, four, five. I mean, you experience them back and forth, and and yeah, you do. This that, is fucking Batman. <laughs> well, no, Chews no, that shit up no. and spits it out. <laughs> the way that like the amount of emoting that they're able to do with Batman in just those blank white eyes, eyes yeah. Is, yeah, is incredible. Like I have never felt so bad for Batman as I felt in this issue. Yeah. Just with that one shape. Yeah. yeah, I mean, just but also like yeah. his body language throughout the whole thing. Like Michael Janine is is really very good at doing the big strong boy fights, which we were getting in this run from him, you know, for a lot of it. But then he's also great at just like the body language expressing someone depressed but powering through, like throughout all of this. Like it, it's there's a sadness and hopelessness in his body and posture that is is pretty incredible. There's this pa- panel here where he's kicking to get out of the wall. And there's some slight thing there. Normally that face on Bruce would look determined, but this just looks sad and mad. Yeah. Like kind of like an angry kid. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, 
Who's to say he's not? Yeah, no, he sure is. Yeah, I uh, definitely had some tears going in this issue, particularly at this long page where Alfred kind of recites a poem, but ultimately just says the thing that Bruce and anybody in the world needs to hear is just that, like, Alfred is proud of him mm-hmm. and goodbye and you are forever loved. And just all of these, like, the... Just those things that when you're walking around in the world and you're talking to someone, you just know that they need to hear that. I don't know if that happens to you all the time, but there's just these primary things that you know people need to hear that they don't hear enough. And uh, Alfred puts those out there for Bruce in this recording. And uh, it's, yeah, it's heartbreaking. Roman, you said a very poignant thing after the first time that we talked about this uh, yesterday. And you said exactly what I had felt, which is like they can't they can't kill Alfred. This, he's got they've got to undo this. Although if they kill him, this is the, yeah. like, the way they do it in this issue is, you know, the best way to do it. And I responded, yeah, this is the perfect end for Alfred if this is really his going to be his end. Right, and and yeah. I, I said something to the effect of like, well, but they've killed him in the past, right? Like something like that has happened. Yeah. But but I can't imagine it was ever done with like the respect and love and also like sort of saying to Bruce the things that Alfred would need to say at the end of that relationship. And of course yeah. it's, it's Batman. All these characters are encased in Amber and won't ever change. So, you know, Batman always has a Butler named Alfred. That's not a thing that they're going to undo any, in the next year, I bet. But you know, at some point we'll probably get an Alfred back or maybe my thought was like, what if this is the Alfred from Thomas Wayne's reality or something? I don't think it is. I don't think so either. No, I don't think so, because, I mean, he talks about... Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're He right. tried, you know, the plan that they had, but Alfred didn't get out in time, get out of Gotham. So the end of the, the issue has Batman being led by Catwoman through his family to his father, who's surrounded by ventriloquist and psychopirate, right? Mm-hmm. And his dad asks, like, have I finally stopped your obsession with Batman. Like I, I have your family and your city and your woman. Is that enough? Will you finally stop? And Bruce says no. And he, they, they get ready to fight one more time. When, and what's going on with Catwoman here? I mean, when did Thomas get her? So that's the thing that to me was the biggest bummer about the John Romita Jr. arc was that in two issues, we went from a storyline where people were separated to gathering everybody up. And that was kind of tough. But Thomas, you remember Thomas fought every single bat person in the bat cave and you and Justin had the conversation about whether or not he could win or not. Uh, And then he, he escapes. I mean, we have to assume that, you know, he trapped him or gathered him up or maybe psycho pirate showed up and is convincing them all to be on their side or believe them or appear to be on their side or, and you know, that's, that's one of my, one of my few complaints about this sort of final act of this whole run. I have a thought. Yeah. I like Django's idea that this is Psycho Pirate is somehow creating this and Alfred's still around. Just because I can't take it if they really kill Alfred. Yeah, it's it it put us really face, like, this did such a good job of, like, what if Alfred is dead? It's put us really face-to-face with it. And yeah. I think that he is. Plus, if it is some kind of delusion or whatever, it was playing little things like, how come Batman doesn't pay attention to the windows? <laughs> yeah. Here's Here's another thing. That made me think back to the very beginning of this series. Um, 
after his dad asks if he's done being Batman, Bruce says, there's no progress. Another year, another year. Yesterday becomes today as quickly as today becomes yesterday. Calendar Man was in the Rebirth issue. Yeah, he was in the Rebirth issue. And then the first issue is him on the airplane being like, would this be a good way to die? Like, would my parents right. be proud of this death? And right. Alfred brings that up in here, which speaks to, like, the holistic way with which Tom King was writing this series. Like, writing the end with the beginning in mind. Writing the beginning with the end in mind. Maybe somebody could tweet Tom King and ask him what needs to be read like if if there's a special reading order or if if he thinks that the the published trades are are the thing to read or tom king this amazing 85 issue run if i could only read 40 issues what would they be well, it would be really interesting to just say like huh. boil down to the stuff that what do you think isn't totally necessary yeah. because i'm surprised that the war of jokes and riddles hasn't come more into play in this final act did you read it? No. I read the first half of it on my second read-through of the series. Okay. Some of it has. Yeah. Not all of it, but some of it definitely has. And Kite Man's been recurring throughout the entire thing. Yeah, but there was some stuff that wasn't even Kite Man that they came back into play at some point about 10 issues ago. I can't remember what it was. But hmm. it was it was something that I think I was maybe the only one at the table who had read that far into the War of Jokes and Riddles. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I, I, don't, I haven't felt like there's been anything clearly here where I'm like, oh, that's, like, it feels like it. I, I do remember you saying something about that yeah, at some point. Maybe Andrew Carlson in front of the show can tell Andrew us. Andrew Carlson in front of the show. Yeah. I'm going to give it a 9 just for the just for the Alfred speech. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to go 9.5 for the Alfred stuff just because I think it was really impressive character work and it made me feel a lot and it was a lot of character work and I'm still really excited to see what this whole thing does and ends and how it ends. And I'm, I'm just really bummed that it's ending. That's, you know, we're going to get something else good from him. Yeah. Batman Catwoman. I know. I just wish that that was still not a separate series. Yeah. Semantics. Not. How many, how many series did Grant Morrison have to have to finish his story? And I think that's a real bummer about that series as well. And I think he got totally fucked by it. But he, I think that it, I think in the long run that was, for me stronger for it because if it had just continued as part of batman i don't know that i don't know that it would have had the kind of chapter breaks and the the sec segments that it did yeah uh, and i don't know that that's what's going to happen here but I've, i'm not going to be mad at it till i find out yeah i'm not mad at it but i mean graham morrison planned to do the batman incorporated thing you know right. early on right i don't think tom king planned to do a 12 issue maxi series called batman and catwoman at the end of it you know like right yeah it's, i kind of wonder if so he had he said he wanted to do 100 issues right right and then he stretched out to 105 i yeah. think because they threw the monster men at him and then he had a couple of annuals. and the button is what he yeah overtly said but yeah what i wonder is did he say 100 issues because he had outlined 100 issues or did he say 100 issues because that's what he thought he could have and that's a nice fun round number to say i did 100 issues is more that second thing than the first thing but like when he was going he was like yeah i want to do 100 issues i want to do 100 issues like there's a, a, a sci-fi wire interviewer okay he says that you know like so like from that perspective maybe this hasn't been hurt as much as it seems by, I, by that speeding up yeah not even necessarily hurt but definitely moved around yeah. and i think that when you definitely move around you feel it yeah. and i have definitely felt it in this <coughs> you know things are not where they were supposed to be for i think you know 60 issues mm -hmm. 
What do you give it, Roman? 9.5. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't remember if I said it, but 9.5 9. as well. 9.5. Yeah, you did. Yeah. yeah. That's our show. That's a somber note to go down on. Oh, let's not well, make blowjob jokes. Oh. Well, let's dilate for hero because that's a great Chris, Chris Ware uh, uh, homage. Roman, send us home. You're in charge of all the outro stuff. <laughs> no Wrap more it up in Dial H for hero. Number nine. Number nine. Turn me on, dead man. Another great issue. There's there's some great Chris Ware homage pages in here that aren't just there because they're Chris Ware homages. They're also the uh, what's the story efficiency. They they really plug the story along and move it along in a way we don't ever see in DC Comics in this kind of artistic format, which is really cool. This is a really strong issue of this series. And a bunch of stuff happens with the operator and Snapper Carr and, and the, the the other guy that are both, I forget the name. I did love to see the Chris Ware pages, but again, so weird to have like the stylistic <laughs> shift of Chris Ware to Sven art to back to yeah, Dial H. Yeah. And he's not even been in DC continuity for that long. So to like put Sven as a reference point or a touchstone for art is a weird thing to me. Bold move. It is bold weird. Move, yes. Dan. Very bold, yes. And teacher, this issue was one of my other favorite ones this week. <laughs> That's how Roman says Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. What did I say? Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, those turtles. Yeah, yeah. I'll give this issue a nine. Nice. Ooh, yeah, yeah. And you're in yeah. charge of all the housekeeping. All the housekeeping. Um, what's our phone number? I have no idea. One six one nine six six three seven three three six. Yeah, that. <laughs> but you can also attach it as an audio file to an email and email us at info at thecomicsplace.com. We've had fun getting some mailbag issues up or episodes up. I think the second one should be up by the time this episode goes up. So keep doing that. We're going to maybe experiment with tagging separate recordings onto the our, our podcasting so we can get those up more regularly. Can I read my own question to myself? Yeah, please do it. I, I... Why do I itch? <laughs> <laughs> what is Cross Rock? <laughs> what is itching? Um... No, actually, it's not even a question. I would love to, and that's my own segue into my thing. Turtles. I would love, in the question, I would love to see Vic Sage and Jack Ryder do a a talk sh- a, a show together. Who's Jack Ryder? The Creeper. I would love to see them in their mortal identities do a show together, but then also go off adventuring at night is the question of the Creeper. So the Vic- Creeper's a bad guy. Sometimes he's an agent of chaos, right? Yeah, yeah. But that'd be interesting because you know, question is so black and white and rigid, and the two of them because that could really have some good. So Vic Sage would be asking the hard questions, and Jack Ryder would just be laughing and touching people the whole time. Yeah, Yeah. it's like Jeff and Roman. It is. (laughs) It is. I don't know what to call it. Wouldn't be the Brave and the Bold, um, but there's got to be a a title like that. Be the the rigid and the Roman. But I'm I'm not in there. Yeah, you're the creeper, bro. I'm the creeper. Oh. Yeah, you're fucking the creeper. Oh, that'd be awesome. Cool. Um, what was the creeper's Jack Ryder? What's his deal? Yeah. He's a radio show host. Radio originally, but yeah, he's been a TV show host like Vic Sage. Was he Except a his is more... character? Or is he strictly DC? Creeper, he's DC, but also created by Steve Ditko. Is well, he? for DC? Huh? Yeah. There was a Daredevil issue that has a character that looks mightily creeperish. Yeah. I pulled it out for you the other day. Yeah, oh. it's like a dude jumping with his legs up like the creeper always has them and he's in this like tons of colors and he's saying ha 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 ha. Oh. All right everybody, thanks for hanging out with us. Uh I'm Jeff and I'm not yeah, I just don't love holiday like Thanksgiving themed sweets. The the the, the nutma, nutmeg, the I don't know. 
I'm Django, and it occurs to me that Roman gave Conan a 10 so that he could give Batman a 10, and then he gave Batman a 9.5. <laughs> no, I don't think that was why he did it. I think we just kind of pushed him into it. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And looking at Batman again, I was like, you know, yeah, the things about the windows, that still just bugs me. I think if and you Catwoman. the tape, you'll find that I'm correct. If, 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 if we address the windows in Catwoman, then I'd give it a 10 probably, but... Well, what are they not addressing about Catwoman? We just don't understand why all of his buddies are supporting him. I just don't understand why why she's like escorting Batman in to see just because you Thomas don't understand Wayne. something doesn't mean last time that we it's saw, not last good. time we saw her, she was on Batman's side against Thomas Wayne. We something bigger is happening. I want to know what it is. Well, well you got why two you're fucking reading issues. it. Yeah, don't stop now, man. Just keep reading. Uh, you are a uh, cougarilla and a hairy one at that. I don't think that the Batman and Catwoman series is going to be about how she loves Thomas Wayne. I bet, I bet they figure it out in the next two issues. <laughs> I bet they do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. I oh guess. God! Stop this podcast. Yeah, I gotta get off. Jeez! Oh, 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 oh. I said stop it. He's getting off on the table. <laughs>